Thanks. If you have a Bible this morning, you can hold it up. If you have one of those electronic gadgets, it's not in the Bible, you can hold that thing up. This is my Bible. Every word in it is true. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. Today, I'm apparently faster than Chris. Today, I will be taught God's Word, transforming every part of my life. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I got that right. It's good to see, it's good to be with you this morning. Since I'm not much of a preacher, I'll sit on my stool here and see if I can see over the dashboard. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture in 2 Peter, and sometime between around 65 years A.D. to 68, somewhere in between that time period, the Apostle Peter wrote his second letter to some close friends of his who lived in northern Asia Minor. The second letter he wrote to them, the first one was very, very short. I was thinking this morning when I was up praying, the contrast between the Apostle Paul's writing and the Apostle Peter. Paul, very much the academic, very much the you know, formal education and all of those kind of things. And he writes these elaborate, long uh, letters that explain all these truths and goes into detail and has the history and the background and the meanings and all of this. And then you get Peter who says, just do it like this. Just, just do it. Don't mess with it. Just get her done. So he could have been the get her done guy of the New Testament, I suppose. Well, he wrote this letter, this is the last time that we have any correspondence between Peter and this group. And so historians believe that sometime between 65 and 68 AD, Peter wrote the last words that he would ever speak to that group of people. And I thought that would be appropriate since this is the last Sunday in 2020. And as we're, I mean, in 2019, as we're going into 2020, It'd be a great encouragement, kind of a jumping board, if you will, from 2019 into 2020 to look at what Peter had to say to these folks, since it probably was the very last things that he ever wrote, as far as we know. We don't have anything else. So it was in the summer of 64 AD when the city of Rome had burned for six days and seven nights, nonstop. Most of the people, even the Senate, blamed Emperor Nero for doing it because he wanted to clean up the city and there was so much poverty, people living in just the blame from him. He decided to blame Christians, starting one of the greatest and most horrific persecutions of Christians in history. And so what Nero did, he said, well, it wasn't me, I can tell you, it was this group called Christians. They're the ones who did it. And so he began to go out and have his army round them up and bring them in and crucify them, set them on fire, 
have wild animals eat them, and use them for amusement. And it was during that time that Peter himself was crucified. And at his own request, he asked to be crucified, as tradition has it, upside down and outside the city, because he said, I'm not even worthy to be crucified like my Savior was crucified. And so they took his body outside the city, hung it upside down, crucified him there. The final words that he wrote are in 2 Peter in chapter 3. If you read the very first part of the chapter, it says, Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you, and I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. When you get all the way down to verse 17, he says, after talking about false teachers and people who would try to convince you to leave the faith, he says, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from your secure position. Here's his last words, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. So he says two things. And this is kind of the big deal, the big idea today. If you're going to go into 2020 really with the idea of of having a better year, having a blessed year, you need to go into that next year thinking about growth. Thinking about personal growth in yourself. What's God going to do in you and through you and with you next year? And the place to start is to grow and to grow in God's grace and to grow in the knowledge of Christ. So what I'm going to do this morning is to flip those around. I want to talk about knowledge first. What did Peter have in mind when he said, grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ? And then I'll talk about grace at the end because it's a little more difficult. And I want to make a couple of points about what Peter is talking about in terms of grace. So the first thing he says we ought to do is we ought to grow in our knowledge. Knowledge occurs 16 times, the word for knowledge, in this three chapters of 2 Peter, a very short little letter, 16 times. Six times it refers directly to knowledge of Jesus. In other words, the data. There's two kinds of knowledge in Peter's mind. One is subjective and one is objective, and I'll talk about that in a second. Let me read you a couple of passages where he talks about this. In 1 Peter 5 and 7, he says, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So you already have faith. You've already put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to cleanse you and to save you from the consequence of your sins. And he said, so take that, take what you have, and add to it goodness. And to goodness, add knowledge. And to knowledge, add self-control. That's where fasting comes in. I'm not a real good faster either, Danny. I guess now I'm going to have to step up my game here. My idea of fasting is sonic. Double cheese, mustard, no mayonnaise. But I don't think that's what the Bible had in mind. And to your self-control, add patience, perseverance, not my favorite word, patience. 
and add to your patience godliness. What does that mean? It means the way we act in public. Godliness. And add to your godliness mutual affection and to your mutual affection love. In verse 8 he says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, that is, you continually grow in those. There's not something you just go to the store and get. It's not something that you hear a sermon or a teaching and you say, now I've got it. I've got those things. He's saying you need to grow in them over time. You ought to be getting better at it over time. You ought to grow up. You know, I heard one one of my friends say once, it's one thing to look in the cradle and see a baby crying that needs a bottle a baby Christian that needs to be fed milk. That's one thing. But when you look in the cradle and the guy's got a full beard, it's time to get out of the diapers and move on. Peter's saying you need to grow up. You need to, in all of these things, keep growing in those things. And he said, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verses 10 and 11, chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, he says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. He said, even though you've got it, You need to be reminded over and over again to keep growing, keep adding on to those things that God has given you. And another, a final verse in chapter 2, verses 20 through 21 that I really love. He's talking now about, so there was this group of people that had come along and they said, you know what? What you need to do is just forget about the whole faith thing. It's not real. What's happened to you is just phony. It's not for real. They tricked you into this. Somebody came along with some enticing words about Jesus and they gave up the story and you bought into it, but it's not really the truth. And even though you say this has happened to you and it's undeniable what God has done in your life, you really need to get rid of that and move on to something else. And so they were trying with all kinds of enticing. Isn't it interesting how the devil brings people along with very enticing words? If it was just nonsense, we'd ignore it. But they were really working hard, these false teachers were working hard to get people to leave the body of Christ. Go back to the way you used to live. It's not worth it. And so Peter says here, he says, says, if you have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord Jesus Christ, and you become again entangled in it, and overcome... You're worse off than you were at the beginning. He's saying those people who were out there and they knew, they experienced firsthand what God can do in their life, and then they turn their backs on that and they go back. You're worse off than you've ever been because you knew the truth, but you left it. He said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that we've passed on to them. Peter's talking to his friends and he's saying, listen, if you want to be successful going forward, you need to grow. 
You need to grow up in your faith. You need to grow up in the grace and the knowledge of what it means to be in Christ. I have a friend and a colleague. He's been a friend for a long time, and we work together on different occasions. And he makes the excuse that he was made to go to church. His parents drug him to church. Those are his words. Drug him to church when he was a kid. And I agree. I've had this conversation with him. It was a very legalistic church. It was very rigid, legalistic, follow the rules or else kind of situation. It wasn't the best kind of place to be. But he says, I don't go to church now because my parents made me go to church when I was a kid. And I always say to him, you know what? What a great excuse. What a great reason to abandon the God of all heaven and earth. What a great reason to not fellowship with people of like faith because mom and dad made you do something you didn't want to do. I mean, when you stand before God Almighty and He says, why would I let you into my heaven? You go, you know what? Because my parents made me do it. It's not a good excuse. I mean, at least come, to, come up with something creative. And he always ends the conversation by saying, I don't like talking to you. <laughs> Someone once told me that sarcasm is, it's no, has no place in our language. Well, I don't know. David Letterman made about $20 million a year using it. I figured I might get a few bucks. But he goes, you're always so sarcastic about it. I'm like, it's not a good excuse. There's no good. My mom made me go to church, therefore I don't like, to be a, I don't like Christians. Really? That's not going to hold water. That boat's going to sink. There's two kinds of knowledge in Peter's mind. Here's the kind of knowledge you need to grow in. The first kind of knowledge is objective knowledge. Objective knowledge is nothing more than information. It's data about Jesus. It's about who He is, His incarnation. What about that? We just celebrated the incarnation of Christ at Christmas. God becoming man so that He could do what no man could do. What, the, what Adam could not do, Jesus was able to do for us. About his life. Who was he? His ministry. His death on a cross. What did that mean? That, all of that information is stuff we need to grow in over and over. His resurrection. His ascension into heaven. And as Dave said earlier, his coming back. We were talking before service. He said, don't forget. He's not done yet. He's coming back. Do you believe that? You know, this idea, oh, that's just a fantasy. Just let it go. go. Go back to your old way of life. You're better off. All this religious stuff is nonsense. I don't think so. I don't think so. And Peter's saying, look, you need to not go back. You need to go forward and grow in your, subjective, or your objective knowledge of who Jesus is. We were, we, Wes and Dave and I were talking before service and I was sharing with them that this guy made a comment. It really struck me. He said, what you ought to do as a Christian is preach the gospel to yourself every day. You, ought, you can't hear it enough. Say these words with me. He died for me. Say it again. He died for me. You can't hear that enough. 
because of all the implications of what it means that he died for me. He died for me. I've been planning out my funeral for a while now. I'm, really, I'm working on it. I kind of change my mind every once in a while. I'm not planning to leave. I almost left, but I'm not planning to go this next year. I'm going to have a better year. 67 days in the hospital is not how you want to do it in the year. So this year, I'm not going to the hospital at all. And I'm not going to have a funeral. But the day I do have a funeral, I'm going to have Wes, and he's already made a commitment to this, so don't let him out of it. I want him to sing that song, You're a Good, Good Father. The first time I ever heard it was at a funeral of a close friend of ours. And when the guy started singing it, I just could I had never heard that song before, and I thought... I need that sung at my funeral. I want that message to be the message that goes out to those people that that come to my funeral and let them realize that even though I'm not here, he's a good father. He's always been a good father to me. Even when I didn't even recognize him as my father, he's always been a good father to me. And so I want to know more about him. I want to read. I want to study. I want to memorize I want to put into practice those things that I know about him. And then there's subjective knowledge. And Peter's thinking about what it means to know him as a person. Objective knowledge is just you know about him. Subjective knowledge is you know him. In all my years as a Christian, it's amazing to me you meet people and if you ask them, how do you know your life has been changed? And they just are lost for words, they go, I just know it. How do you know it? How do you quantify it? I'm just not the person I used to be. I'm just not comfortable with what I used to do. I can't do that anymore. Some of you have heard a little bit of my testimony, but growing up, I was a nightclub entertainer. And when I became a Christian, I was still a nightclub entertainer. And I played in these big show clubs with bands and, and, and did all this stuff. And I remember going into the nightclub, a big, giant nightclub, and, and it was filled with people, a couple thousand people. And I remember going to work that night after I'd become a Christian, and I began looking around, and I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this. This is not for me. This is not the place I need to be. And I just remember, this is darkness, and I don't live in darkness anymore. I live in light. I won't tell you the whole story. I got fired eventually, got out of my contract, because I kept doing things that were bad for business. I led some waitresses to the Lord, and then they had to quit. I would go down and talk to people, and people love to talk to the band members on the break. You know, you go down, have a couple of beers, and kick back and have a little conversation. And I went down to this couple that was sitting there, and I said, uh, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we're here to, you know, listen to the music. And I said, no, but you're not married to the same person. And the guy kind of looked down, and I said, it's not your wife, is it? And he goes, uh, no. And I said, it's, he, he's not your husband, is he? No. And they jumped up and left. And then the guy who owned the place said, you know, you've really got to stop that. It's not good for business. (laughs) But I kept seeing them sneak in. He'd come in one door and she'd come in the other door. It's what you do when you live in darkness, isn't it? When you live in darkness, you sneak around. You sin by sneaking around. You think God doesn't see you, but he does. And when you know him as a person, 
then it's not just, oh, I know some religious stuff. I know some Bible stuff. It's, I have a relationship with this person, and I'm not comfortable with that. I'm not comfortable talking like that. I'm not comfortable doing that. I'm not comfortable with these people. Our daughter said once we were coming back from a vacation with some family members, and I remember it was about four in the morning, we were riding along. She was in the front seat, and she said, she said Dad, we're different, aren't we? I'm like, Lord, you have no idea. <laughs> I said, what do you mean? She said, well, we're not like them. What are you talking about? We're, we're different. We don't go to those kind of movies. We don't listen to that kind of music. We don't say those kind of... We're just different, aren't we? And I said, yeah, I, I guess we are. And then she said something, just came... She ain't that bright, but every once in a while she comes up with something. And she said, I think we just have different values. I mean, you know, I almost ran off the road. I'm like, are you serious? My own daughter starting to wise up. We are different. The difference is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, to know him in a subjective way, I'm going to give you three things. Personally, intimately, experientially. This is what subjective knowledge means. You need to know him personally because no one can know him for you. Pastor Chris can't know him for you. Your mom and dad can't know him for you. Some godly person that you've known in the past, your grandma or grandpa or aunt or uncle or someone else can't know him for you. You have to know him yourself. It's personal. So regardless of what anyone else in the world tells you, they can't, they can't and they shouldn't convince you you don't have that personal relationship if you do. It's intimate because he doesn't want your rules and regulations. He doesn't want, he doesn't care about all of that. What he cares about is a friendship with you. I love it when we sing that song, A Friend of God. I just love it because nothing could be more true. He is our friend. He wants that relationship as a friend. And if you're going to have a friendship, you need to talk to him. If you're going to grow in the knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ next year, you need to talk to him more. You need to give him your innermost thoughts. When you're afraid, you need to tell him you're afraid. When you're upset, you need to tell him you're upset. When you're happy, you need to tell him you're happy. Because he wants an intimate relationship. He wants to go deeper. A lot of time people say, well, I really want to go deeper with the Lord. But if they knew what that meant, they wouldn't be asking that. Because to go deeper means to really become intimate with him. And the last thing is experiential. You have to experience it. I won't ask you to raise your hands. I don't want to embarrass you. But let me tell you something. Think about this. How many of you in this room have had an experience with God that was absolute, 100% authentic and real. How many here, He changed your life. It happened to me in a shopping mall. I was just walking along in a shopping mall and a kid came up and started talking to me and 
the Holy Spirit just touched my life and I said yes to Jesus and I walked out of there even though it was in the middle of the winter it felt like springtime because something spiritually happened it's called new birth I was in darkness now I'm in light I was dead now I'm alive and if you've ever experienced that nothing nothing should ever take that away from you it is what it is say to your neighbor it is what it is Now, if you want to go into 2020 and you want to grow in your knowledge of Him, you need to be careful. I'm going to give you two warnings. Just be careful. Paul wrote in Philippians dot, dot, 10 and 11. That was, I, I've got to get that. That's my new deal for next year. Philippians 3 dot, dot, 10 and 11. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participate in His, what? Sufferings, becoming like Him in His death and somehow obtaining to the resurrection of the dead. If you say, I really want to go into 2020. I want to go deeper with God. I want to, 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 to know more about Him. I want to have Him more intimately in my life. I want to experience more of God in my life. Then you need to be careful what you think, what you pray for. Because to know Him means to give Him over more of your will. I remember going to church as a kid and Pastors would talk about that, and they would be talking about making Jesus Lord of your life. And I was like, you know, I'd like to accept Jesus. I, I need forgiveness for my sins, but I'm not sure I'm willing to turn over my entire life, my career, my future, my family, my money, everything that's in my life. They're saying I got to turn all of that over to somebody, and it was understandable that I didn't understand that I didn't want to do it because I didn't know him. And if you don't know him, you can't trust him, and you don't want to give over your entire life to someone you don't trust. But once I made that step, and he changed my life, then I began to realize, hey, it's not my life; it's his life. He created me. He knew me from the foundation of the world. He knew me before I was ever a twinkle in my father's eye. He knew I was going to come here. He knew who I was going to be. He knew I wasn't going to be six foot four. I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a story running around about my mother having an angel came to visit her on the night I was born. He said he can either really be handsome or tall. I don't know. I wasn't there. Here's another thing. If he's God, if he's God, if it's for real, if it's absolutely for real, he'll be the God in the valley just like he's the God on a mountaintop. But you may have to walk through some valleys. So if you want to know him, I don't know what 2020 has to hold. But there may be some valleys there. There's the valley of grief that we go through when we lose someone close to us. There's the valley of sickness and disease, which over the last several years our family 
has really had to walk through it. At first, you say, yeah, we got this. We're going to make it. And then you get bad news, and you say, oh, man, why, why is this happening? And then you get more bad news, and then you get more bad news. And you're like, I don't know why this is happening. But if he's the God on the mountain, he'll be God in the valley. He doesn't promise mountaintops all the time, but he says, you know, when you walk in that valley, I will not leave you and I will not forsake you. This is very unnerving for people who are non-believers. When I was in the hospital this last year, what's unnerving sometimes to people who are not believers is they just don't know why you're not panicking. I had, according to the doctor, I coded out twice on the operating table and they brought me back. And when they told me this, the girl who was there thought I was in shock because I said, okay, is that all you got? She's like, do you understand, Mr. Chambers? You know, we, we lost you and, and then we brought you back. You know, you got that? I'm like, okay, what's next? When I was sent to a, another hospital, I was in like multiple hospitals, and I went to another hospital, and I was really, really sick, and I was at the point where it looked like I wasn't going to make it, and one of the nurses, bless her heart, she was really a sweetheart, and she was really trying to help me, and, and she was like, I think you're going into shock. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fine. And then I heard her tell one of the other nurses as she was leaving the room, he's in shock. We need to order some stuff for him, some more medication. I'm not against medication. I like the morphine. That's some good stuff right there. <laughs> but I didn't need any medication because I wasn't panicking about that. You may have to go through some valleys. The more of those valleys you go through, the more you realize, you know what? As tough as it gets, my God will not leave me. My God is here with me. Now, I may doubt that sometimes. There was a couple nights I remember saying to God, listen, if you're here, you need to show yourself. Uh, now would be good, please. <laughs> God has a great sense of humor. I'm like, I believe you're here, but I can't. I really need some help right now. He will take you through valleys. There's valleys of loss. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes we lose our way. There's valleys of heartache. Sometimes things happen to us that just literally breaks your heart. If you've never had your heart just absolutely crushed, then it's hard to understand that God is there in the midst of that. There's a valley of loneliness that we walk through. There are times, even when surrounded by people, you can be overcome by loneliness. You just feel alone. You don't feel like anybody cares. You don't, you don't really want any relationships with anyone because it's just going to lead to more heartache. And so you just become alone. And even though you feel alone, you're not really alone at all. The interesting thing about knowing God is that He doesn't always push through and push Himself on you. He waits till you invite His presence. There's a valley of poverty and this last year, you're talking about the business being blessed. 23 years at the Institute for Organizational Leadership, every year, God blessed us with more clients and more business and 
more income and all of that. This past year, I didn't work one single day. Not once. I was so sick for a whole year, I never went to work one day. And the Lord just kept saying to me, and and to Lynette, so what? Sometimes you have a lot, and you rejoice, and sometimes you have nothing, and you just rejoice. Someone that knows me really well, he knows that I haven't worked, and he said to me, how are you doing? I said, I'm doing great. No, how are you really doing? You have to say that to men three or four times to get through their hard heads. How are you really doing? I'm doing fine. Well, I know you're not working. How, how are you guys doing? Are you going to be okay? We're fine. You know what? If you went through your house, when you get home from church today and you walk through your house, put a tag on everything you actually don't need. Oh, my Lord. Where's Pastor Chris? We did not ask for this this morning. This is not what we came here for. Let's put a yellow tag. Put a sticky on. We don't need that to live. We don't need that to live. We don't need... We're going to keep the TV because <laughs> football. We're not... We don't need that. I wonder what people did before they had all that stuff. It's amazing when you have to walk through the valley of poverty that you realize we don't even need that. And how did we ever get five microwaves? Who has five microwaves? Who needs that? And why do we need that big TV when we just watch TV on our phones anyway? There's the valley of disappointment. Let me just make a note of this. Not everything in 2020 is going your way. Look at your neighbor and go, sorry. It's not. Some things will, but not everything. The truth is, not everything is going your way, but you know what? God is going your way. Let me talk a little bit about grace. Wes, if you want to come back. I left grace to the end because grace is one of those things that's just really hard to understand, and I struggle with it as much, if not more, than most of you. When he says grow in grace, here's what he's talking about. He's saying, listen, absolute assurance is what grace means. I I understand the functional definition. It's God's favor given to us that we don't deserve. We don't deserve it. How many of you got something for Christmas you don't deserve? Well, that's about almost everybody. I didn't. I got everything I wanted and deserved. You you don't buy that. He's got a. He's like no, not not. God gives us what we don't deserve. He gives us salvation. He gives us cleansing. He gives us blessings untold, blessings that we know about, and blessings that we don't even know about. This is a dumb story, but it's true. We left church one day. We were just a young couple. We walked out of church. Lynette was like visiting with friends. She's always visiting with people. I'm trying to get moving. I'm trying to get going to lunch. And the restaurant was a block away from the church. And you could look down 
from the steps of the church and you could see that people were pulling in the parking lot. And for me, that meant somebody's getting in line in front of me and I need to get my lunch. But my wife, my sweet young wife is visiting and visiting and I'm like, let's go. She's like, just a minute, I'm talking. I'm like, okay, it's time for lunch. Let's go. Well, finally, she gets done visiting with her friends and we start to step off the steps of the church and I'm looking down at the restaurant and I'm thinking, man, now everybody's there. Even the Methodists got there before us. There's not gonna, I'm gonna wait an hour to eat. And just as we started down the steps to head for the restaurant, a fire truck come around the corner, a big ladder truck, and when it did, it lost control and just started smashing everything in its way. The back side of it came around and it just started destroying stuff. And it smashed right into the restaurant. And in all of her prophetic glory, Lynette looks to me and says, You see? If we had gone with your program, we'd both be dead by now. What is grace? Grace is unlimited, absolute assurance. But can you be absolutely assured that God will never leave you? Yes, you can. But it's not something that can be easily explained or defined or measured in some way. You just know that because of who God is, He's absolutely got it. He's got you in His hands. And that's hard for people to accept. It's absolute grace that holds you where you are. He died for me. He did for me. I asked him to cleanse me of my sins, to forgive me for my past, and he did. I asked him to fill me with his Holy Spirit, and he did. I asked him to guide and direct me as I go in this life for what, I, what I'm going to do with myself what he would have me to do, and he did. I asked him to be the Lord of my life in spite of the fact that sometimes I scratch and claw and want to be in control. God, I want you to be in control, and he is. That's absolute grace, absolute assurance, not worrying about it. The doctor says, you know what? You're not going to make it okay. This is only chapter one. I'm looking for chapter two. The job isn't working out exactly like you wanted it. So what? Things aren't working out in a relationship like you think they should. Maybe it's not the right one. But we don't have all the stuff that other people have. Let me tell you, when they put you in a box and they lower you down, you're not taking anything with you. Just you. 
and God. That's absolute assurance. I want you to bow with me in prayer if you would. I want you to listen carefully. Here are a couple things. You say, I don't know, I don't know what I should do about going into 2020. How am I going to grow in grace and knowledge? I'm going to give you four things real quick. If you haven't confessed your sins to God and asked Him to take control of your life, you should do that. You should do it. You should do it right now. Pray with me. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I ask you to take my sins and wash them as white as snow. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for giving your life so that I can have new life. Father, I ask you, take this simple prayer and change my life. In Jesus' name, amen. say, that's too simple. It's too easy. I know it is. But that's the way it works. If you haven't confessed your sins, confess them. Number two, learn to trust in God regardless of the circumstances. Stop talking about it and just do it. Just act like it. It's amazing. I I don't want to go any further with that, but a couple of nurses that I met in the hospital this past year, they just couldn't get why our family were so calm about such a difficult situation. We need to get some medicine. He's in shock. I'm not in shock because I know where I stand with him doesn't make it easy doesn't take away the pain but if you are one of his children act like it amen find a place to serve find in 2020 find something you can do to give back to other people because when you receive you need to give out when the bucket is full of blessings you need to get find something you can do There is something that you can do. You can do it here in the body. You can find a place to serve here. You can find a place in the community. Find some way to give back in the name of Christ. And then the last thing as we pray is to dive deeper into His Word. A lot of people talk about the Bible. I bet you there are multiple Bibles in homes that haven't ever been opened. It doesn't matter whether you read it on the computer or read it in the hard copy. I like the no pictures version, right? No pictures. But read it. Read it for yourself. Study it. Memorize it. Think about it. Let it sink in. And I promise you, as you go into 2020, your knowledge about who Jesus is and what grace really means, what it means to be absolutely sure that he's with you will increase as well. Let's stand together as we go to the Lord in prayer. I want to pray a blessing on you this morning. 
Peter's final words to his friends, this is what I wish for you, that you would grow in grace and knowledge. And the reason he said that, I think, is because he knew that if that happened, all this other stuff would take place. Just go out of here and grow in your grace and your knowledge. And other things are going to happen. So that's the prayer I want to pray over you today. Heavenly Father, as we say goodbye to 2019, we look forward to the next year. We ask that you just put a blessing upon this group. Lord, help us individually and corporately to grow, to grow up in our faith to grow up so others can't discourage us or detour us from the way, to grow up in the knowledge of who you are and what you've come to do for us, to to grow up in the experience of knowing you personally, and to grow in the assurance that no matter what happens, good or bad, rich or poor, pain or sorrow or laughter or whatever comes our way we know that you're with us and that you're going to keep us and we never have to doubt it and we thank you for that in Jesus name and everyone said amen and amen God bless you